tonight it's going to be a short one because I have not eaten since Sunday night, and right now it is Wednesday evening my time, so it's almost 72 hours since I ate, doing a four-day fast. I ran into a doctor this summer in Boulder, Colorado, who was saying, yeah, you know, it's great that you fast once a week for 36 to 40 hours, but he's like, you'd probably get more mileage just doing it four times a year, 96 hours. And I never stopped doing the 40 hour one because I like doing that. Just kind of clean out the system after the weekend. I do it on Mondays, but I just figured, okay, I'll do whatever. Every three months I'll do four days. It's not that hard for me. But today I was kind of flagging a bit for whatever reason, the last like few hours, I just have like a lot of energy to do shit. I just made two uh, jars of sauerkraut. I used up the hot peppers that we got from the farmer's delivery service that chopped those up, made some sauces. I wrote a, another Substack column today that Heather's looking at. She's my editor. It's, it's actually a story, another conspiracy. There, there's three conspiracies now. There's The conspiracy piece is the most read piece I've ever had on, on chrislist.substack.com. So I've just been doing a lot of shit today. I'm a little jacked up just from not eating. I've been taking uh, serapeptase, which is an enzyme that I guess it's from a silkworm originally. And now there's sort of a synthetic version, which is probably what I have. I didn't look. But basically the silkworm, I guess it needs this enzyme to dissolve its cocoon without damaging the very tender flesh inside the cocoon. So it, it's like this enzyme, it's very targeted for certain kinds of organic material, but doesn't do anything to the other kinds. And apparently if you take this and you have to take it on an empty stomach, otherwise your digestive enzymes will just destroy it. It will dissolve things like scar tissue. If you have a bad ankle, if you have, you know, whatever, it can help with your immune system. It can help fight viruses. Apparently, this is what it's claimed to do. And you do it on an empty stomach. And then I was like, well, what happens if you do it when you're fasting for several days? And there were a couple of posts suggesting this doesn't seem like I'm going to kill myself doing it. So I figured I'd do the experiment. So I've been doing this serapeptase for the last couple of days. And I was using it now and then before. And I don't know if this is just a coincidence, but I have a bad ankle, as I've probably mentioned a hundred times. You heard me on the XM show talking to Stefania Bell. Stefania Bell was just extremely unhelpful. Like I would ask her to diagnose my ankle. You know, she's a friend and she was very rarely did she give me the attention I needed in terms of my ankle. And she would mock me viciously despite uh, my having a serious injury. But, you know, I'm not that I'm bitter about that, I'm, that I'm bringing that up now. But the point is that I've had this ankle injury for, for a long time and I had surgery around it in 2009 and they repaired a couple of ligaments and they also, I had cartilage damage, which is the real, the real problem. It wasn't the floppiness of the ankle that didn't hurt. And they were able to repair that with surgery, but I need to get microfracture, which was to scrape the, basically your cartilage is like this smooth padding between the two bones. And so when you walk and your ankle, as you push forward on your ankle and put the weight over it and, and bend your leg over it, the leg bone and the ankle bone smoothly interact because the cartilage is there. But I had chipped that cartilage. I guess I had damaged the ligaments so bad there was no support and I had chipped the cartilage. And so it was this like very, you know, raw nerve endings on bone. And every time I walked, I'd feel like a shooting pain and I was limping around. I was 38 years old. I, I couldn't walk a few blocks without being in pain. Uh, and it was a problem. And I tried all these alternative therapies that didn't work and spent a bunch of money. Finally got surgery on it. And then uh, it was better. But even though it was better, I still had to like be careful. And if I played even like shooting around basketball on a concrete court, like it would ache for like three days. Or if I jogged on a hard surface, it would ache for 
a few days after that. But you know, lately I, I've been I've been jogging on the track, which is a little softer, but I've been going three times a week. And I've also been playing basketball on the hard court with Sasha. And of course, like, you know, I'm gonna drive to the hole and do a spin move and, and jump, you know, I mean, to the extent I can at 51 to show her, you know, some moves. And I haven't had any real problems, just a tiny bit of soreness. And I wonder if it's the serapeptase that's been sort of smoothing that out, scar tissue around there. Because that's what the, the microfracture does, is it creates scar tissue to pad the joint. But maybe if it smoothed it out a bit, it would get less inflamed because it's not as obviously precise as your natural cartilage. So anyway, I don't know if that's true, but I'm doing this while fasting. I also went to the track Monday while fasting and I did uh, just two miles, but I did intervals. So I did some really fast uh, 100, 100 meter sprints in between while I was doing the two miles. But I just did that the first day of the fast. I wouldn't do that now. I did my 51 push-ups yesterday and I'm ending the fast tomorrow night at dinner. So I feel pretty good. I'm getting my work done. You know, obviously I would like to eat. Oddly, it really helps me to like chop up the cabbage and make sauerkraut and to chop up the hot chilies and garlic and make a hot sauce. Just being around the food makes me feel better. And I don't know why. Heather's like, how can you stand here with the food doesn't it make you crazy? And it's the opposite. It's like the fact that the food's there and my hands are on it and I smell it makes me feel like, oh, there's food here. It satiates me because I think like, you know, you can live off of your reserves for a month. And so the real issue, I think, is psychological. It's like, you know, I, my body hasn't had food in a while and it's giving me that urgency, like you better go get some food just as you would be in the wild. If you hadn't gotten food in a couple of days, you, you know, hey, it's urgent. You better start hunting. You better catch something. And that I'm presented with the food and I'm touching and smelling it. It's kind of like, well, maybe that part of the psychology just calms down. So then it's just a matter of how hungry you are. And yeah, sure, I'm hungry, but I'm not starving. So it's been interesting. So I've been, you know, tripping a little bit. You're a little more in a different frame of consciousness when you haven't eaten in three, almost three days. So there's that. A couple other big things. And again, I don't want to make this a long podcast because I don't know how much energy I'm going to have tomorrow to edit this. But midterms happened and they were pretty tame, right? Like there wasn't a huge red wave. The, I'm not sure like if the Senate and the House are still up for grabs. They think maybe the Republicans will take the House. But of course, the votes need a couple of weeks of counting due to the mail-in ballots. And, you know, I don't care that much about politics. I mean, I would have liked to see some people get thrown out who were for the COVID measures. But at the same time, the Republicans, most of them weren't exactly fighting against them either. So um, these were not necessarily your saviors that were going to fix things. Uh, I'd rather, I was more just vindictive, like just punish these psychopaths more than great. These Republicans are taking over. You know, there was, there was something I read. I don't know if this is true because I just read it from uh, somebody who's a, obviously a partisan Republican that said that in the States where there were strict voting rules, no mail-ins like Florida, you know, DeSantis cruised and in the states where there were mail-ins is where the Democrats had surprisingly good showings. Now, I don't know if that's totally true, but I was just thinking about it. Like mail-in voting without more oversight is just a scourge. Like people will cheat if they can. I mean, it's, you know, Republicans gerrymandered for years because they could. You know, when Obama wanted to appoint Merrick Garland, not that I would want Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court, but it's his judge and he nominated him. They, they stalled and you know, they didn't let him do it. And, you know, it was still, he was still president and there was a vacancy and he wasn't able to nominate his justice. So they're all cheating all the time. 
I think it's a little worse if you're actually cheating on vote counts. I mean, that's like really, really cheating rather than telling lies, saying that you can keep your doctor with Obamacare and you can, or the millions of lies that Trump tells or the millions of lies that, that all politicians tell. That's cheating a bit, right? You're giving people bad info and they're voting under misimpression. Gerrymandering is obviously cheating. You're diluting certain votes. But I think fixing rigging ballots would be the ultimate cheating. Now, I'm not saying I have proof or any evidence that, that happened. But my thesis is if they can cheat, they will. You know, basically, they will cheat both parties to the greatest extent practicable, you know, without getting caught uh, that they can and even maybe risk getting caught if, especially as they say, oh, it's the end of democracy. Well, if you really believe that, then you're, you're not only, you know, likely to cheat, you're morally obligated to cheat, right? It's like if you're defending your way of life and they're doing all sorts of dirty stuff anyway, why wouldn't you cheat? You're morally obligated to cheat. The principle of like, well, you know, the vote is more important, the integrity of the vote is more important than who wins. That would be the reason not to cheat, that the integrity of democracy is more important than who wins, right? That I wouldn't cheat. It's democracy's integrity is important. But if you think that if they win, it's the end of democracy, then that principle has no teeth, right? Because you're like, well, hey, it's the end of democracy if they if they win. So even though I'm subverting democracy by cheating and, and adding in mail-in ballots, how is that worse? It's not worse if you believe it's the end of democracy. So I believe they would cheat if they could. And the mail-in ballots just let both parties cheat. I mean, it's just, you can't have an inaudible system with something like this at stake. I mean, it's kind of a joke. And it's part of why I don't really care. Like the fact that this is even allowed to happen, that there's mail-in ballots, it makes it kind of a, a clown show. I don't really take it that seriously. So I don't really think the result is really democratic anymore anyway. I guess if you're a good cheater, you would cheat within reason, right? You wouldn't want the cheating to be so out of step with the polls, so completely out of step with the polls. Um, so you'd want to cheat a little bit. It's kind of like the rank that the book takes, right? They can take a 10% rank, but if they take a 40% rank, no one's going to use them. So you want to cheat to the greatest extent that you can get away with. Uh, and I assume there's cheating. You know what? But here's the thing. I assume there's cheating every election, gerrymandering. And I don't know if they actually outright, you know, had this mail-in ballots where you can really cheat and get away with it before 2020. But I'm sort of like, lost interest in that. I don't really care much. And I, and I don't really, I don't have a dog in the fight, except that I want to see the people who enacted these horrendous COVID policies get taken out of power and, and possibly worse, you know, prosecuted or held to account in some way. So that's that. That's all I wrote to say about the election. I'm going to have a podcast tomorrow with Ted Bell going a lot deeper into election stuff. He's much more on top of it uh, than I am. And I'm sure he'll uh, have different ideas and uh, stimulate some interesting discussions. I'm doing that tomorrow night, but that's all I got to say about the election. Now, I don't really pay that close attention anyway. Um, I can't believe they sent that guy Fetterman, who has literal brain damage, to the Senate. I mean, it's just hilarious. Someone said it's like Nero, the Roman emperor, sending his horse to the Senate. Look, I, I, I feel like everybody should be treated with respect and have rights, but you have to have a functional brain to be in the Senate, but maybe, you know, he's not the only one. And, and maybe, you know, the president's losing it also. So, you know, we don't really have high standards anymore. But anyway, that's that. I don't really care about that. The other thing, obviously, the big news is FTX, the Sam Bankman Freed run uh, crypto exchange. I remember XM had reads for that and they asked us to read it and I refused. I didn't know who that guy was, but I just knew these scammy shitcoin casinos. I didn't want to read for it. So we didn't do that read, um, but they had a read. They actually advertised on our XM show. You know, I mean, I didn't think it would be this wrecked this fast, but it was kind of a weird thing. Like, who is this Sam Bankman-Fried? Like, suddenly he's this like multi-billionaire, mega donor, 
to the Democratic Party and he's on the scene in crypto and he's running this massive exchange. I didn't even know who he was until like a year and a half ago, right? It was kind of like Jeffrey Epstein. He's like, oh, he's this financier, this very important, successful financier wants to meet with you, Bill Gates. Oh yeah, and have an orgy while you're at it. But, you know, he met with all these people and everyone's like, I don't really recall Jeffrey Epstein making any trades or any, you know, I've never been in the counterparty to a Jeffrey Epstein trade. And everyone's like, where did this guy come from? And obviously we know now that he was financed by Les Wexner, the guy who ran the limited, you know, who owned Victoria's Secret and a bunch of other companies. So, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was not a financier. It was probably CIA, Mossad, whatever intelligence agency was, you know, he was working for. And, you know, who was Sam Bankman Freed working for? I mean, is this a real guy that just came out of nowhere? I mean, most of the guys, like uh, the Binance guy, CZ, I heard of five years ago. I mean, I actually knew who that guy was. So he wasn't just out of nowhere. So I don't, I don't even know what that was about. Of course, I don't dabble in any of the shit coins, but of course it's also had a, you know, it's had a big downturn in the Bitcoin price. It's down to 16.8 as I'm recording this. And it doesn't really phase me. I mean, the, the first principles of why it's necessary and the fact that each block is still coming in 10 minutes, one after another, every 10 minutes. And, you know, I just don't really think the thesis has changed if you're bullish on, on Bitcoin, but uh, you know, it's maybe a good stacking opportunity. The price is down. I think when the price drops precipitously, there's forced sellers and that drops the price. And then all the people who are like, oh, this is cheap. I want to buy are like, yeah, it's cheap, but maybe I'll wait till it drops another thousand. So, you know, you don't really get the run up until there's sort of a little bit of momentum the other direction. Don't sweat it. Don't sell. It might be a good time to buy. You know, again, short-term price movement is not something I would ever try to predict. It just seems cheap relative to its historic prices and its moving averages and all that stuff. But again, that's, you know, the Bertrand Russell thing, jumping off the Empire State Building, counting the windows as you go down. And when you get to 80 saying so far, so good. Just because historically it's trading cheaply relative to its moving averages and its place in the cycle, that doesn't mean it can't drop a few thousand more or more. I, I really don't know. I would I would think this is close to the bottom, but um, but you don't know. I think a good indicator sometimes is people saying, I'm out, I'm done with this. But most of the people saying that, I think, are like those crypto people. And I hope this, you know, I mean, how many times, you know, Luna failed? How many times do we have to have shit coins completely collapse before people just stop trying to FOMO into the next big thing, the new thing? Now, this is the sound money. This is the opt-out of the system. This is a money that can't be increased, that you can transact with permissionlessly, that there's no one to lean on and say, hey, Canadian truckers, you can't your money's frozen. That's, it's not possible to do that. This is, the, this is the solution to the problem. All the other ones, I don't even see a single use case and I don't know why smart people are still involved in them, but they are and it is what it is. And I think the key is like, don't put so much in that you're ever going to be a forced seller. I think that's what you want to avoid where you have to sell it at a price that you don't want to sell it at. And it's not the people who, I mean, the people who didn't get in early will be bummed. Someone else got in earlier, but I think it's the people who, had, who were in early enough because we're still very early and then force sold and then it goes to a million. Those are the people who are going to be defenestrating out of a high from a high floor. All right. A couple other things real quick. Just a quick note. Went to the Azores for eight days. That's why I didn't have a podcast last week. It was pretty cool. I'm going to put some pictures in there. It's, it's like a volcanic island and I swam in these little pools that are you know, leftover, created by leftover volcanic rock and you see the ocean that kind of pours into them and you swim in those. That was pretty cool. It wasn't too cold, a little chilly, but not too bad. We hiked through a bunch of forests, extremely green. It rained a ton. We just had to 
put on a raincoat and hike through it. And it was pretty cool. It was, it was nice. Once you got over that the fact that it was raining a lot, there are a lot of hot springs. We did the uh, hot tub in the hot spring and I'll throw some pictures up for that. And uh, I almost got killed. I think I'm, well, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I was, I was videoing and I'll put the video in the notes, this really cool area where you stand on the edge of the volcanic rock and about 12 feet down, there's this big, I mean, I'll, I'll no point in describing it. I'll put it in the, in the notes, but these waves were breaking. It was like, I was like 12 feet up on this cliff. And all of a sudden I, I shut down the video and all of a sudden a wave crashed, went up over the cliff and soaked me with my clothes on. And, you know, a little bit knocked me off balance. And if you knocked off balance and like fell on your ass, you could slip off the cliff pretty hard, 12 feet down. And, you know, the rocks, I mean, I, it wasn't close to really knocking me over, but it did soak me and kind of jar me a bit. And I was like, holy shit, I'm way too close to this. So it's a reminder that uh, nature can be pretty, uh, pretty rough, but it was a great trip. And the other crazy thing was Sasha has a friend, good friend of hers, and we know their parents and they're cool people. And we, we found out that plane tickets for kids under 12 were free. So we said, hey, you want us to take you know, your, your kid? And they were like, yeah, great. So we took her and we gave Sasha and her their own room. And I said to them, you, know, you just got to be responsible. I mean, you'll have a lot of freedom on this trip. And they had the freedom, but they were not that responsible. Like I had to police them. Go, there's this giant candy jar of gummy candies at the second hotel. And like I busted them many times taking from that. And you know, that's in addition to the Halloween stuff we got them. And then the, the buffet breakfast is just, Sasha just cannot be let loose there. Like she was, she would eat like a giant bagel with, with cream cheese and lox, which is good and bacon and eggs. But then she would have like three desserts, three giant like chocolate croissants and, you know, these pancakes with chocolate and then a bowl of fruit and then another croissant or pastry. And I was like, for fuck's sake, you know, you, you just, you can't do this. And her friend did the same thing. It was like two against one. I was yelling at them a lot. Uh, but her friend is a, a really a nice kid and she got a giant piece of chocolate cake and a chocolate pancake. And no, it was just a giant piece of chocolate cake and like a double sized chocolate pancake. And I was like, and she had already eaten the full breakfast also. And she's smaller than Sasha and she's pretty skinny. And I just like, you are not going to be able to finish that. And she's like, Oh, you watch me. So she ate the chocolate cake and started eating the pancake. And I was like, you're just not going to finish that. There's just no way. And so she ate about half of it and then she started playing with it. You know, when a kid starts playing with the food, it's over. And then she had to concede. And I told her I was going to go public with it. You know, I, I didn't tell her I was going to talk about the podcast. I did say that I was going to tell her parents and everybody else. But, you know, she just, she wasn't up to the task. So I'm not saying her name just because I don't want to dox the kids. But it's a very nice kid. And I had to yell at them a bunch. They opened the car door at 40 miles an hour, which I really yelled at them. And, you know, you're yelling at this kid. It's not your kid, but she's a good sport. And, you know, by the end, we kind of missed her. It was kind of like we had to give, we had two kids for a week, for eight days. We, we instead of having one kid, I, I know what it's like to have two kids, probably easier than two kids because they're the exact same age and they get along so well. They didn't really fight much. And then I had to, we had to return her to her parents when uh, we got home, but uh, it was a good trip and it was, I'm glad we took her and it was, uh, it was just a nice, uh, nice vacation though. A lot of exercise, a lot of hiking and the kids were pretty good sports too. They bitched about this one hike in the rain, which wasn't that fun, but some of the hard uphill climbs they, they dealt with, they were good. All right. I guess that's about it. I'm just going to say one thing. I know it's a short one, but I've been reading uh Dergigi Bitcoiner and he had some interesting things to say about how to monetize podcasts and the better way to do it and how advertising kind of sucks because 
you're working for advertisers and you have to be careful what you say and how there's two problems. I forget he had like acronyms for them, but one of them is that like, if you have a pay model, like, okay, pay a dollar a podcast, pay for articles, people, they don't want to have to decide. It's not even worth, even if it was like 10 cents a podcast, you're like, fine, I'll pay 10 cents. I want to listen to this podcast. It's not worth deciding amount of time you have to make to make the decision to pay the 10 cents is not even is worse than the 10 cents. Everything you listen to, do I want to pay for this? I want to pay for that. That's one issue. The other issue is that anything that's online, you know, digital podcast, article, video, it wants to be free, right? Anyone can send an article I write to other people and, and I want them to. I mean, I want people to share what I'm doing and you want to, you don't want to limit your reach. So digital information wants to be free. That's one problem with paywalls. And the other one is if it's like a micro paywall, you don't want to make people have to make a decision every time. And so, you know, his suggestion was value for value. If if you value this, if you want this to continue, you vote with your dollar now and then. I know a lot of you have contributed, so I appreciate that. It's been a bit since I've reminded people of this. People, they do it when they're reminded. And just like me, I nobody reminds me, I'll listen to all the podcasts for free. But I, I just feel it's a be- the best model is if something you value, you want to see exist, contribute. If you don't care that much, then don't. You know, I, I feel I feel it's kind of the same way too. I don't really believe in charity. I don't believe in uh, giving to some random organization that who knows if it's going to the organizers or the the administrators or it's going to the charity and it's halfway across the world or whatever. I believe in going to that local restaurant that needs business and and having dinner there and supporting it because you want it to be in your neighborhood, right? If you don't support it, it's going to go away. Shopping at the local shop, you know, it might be a little bit more expensive than Amazon, but you like having the shop down there. You like putting on the shoes there and not ordering them online and seeing whether they fit and sending them back and giving some random place business, but somebody local that that knows you, that you know. So it's kind of the same model for me. It's just sort of support the things you want to see continue to exist. All right, that's it. That's going to do it. As I said, tomorrow night, I'm going to be doing a, a midterm podcast with Ted Bell and my stance is everybody's cheating. The mail-in ballots are just terrible. I don't know specifically if there's a particular race that there was actual cheating. I have no evidence. I'm not alleging evidence. I just assume that they will all cheat to the extent they can get away with it. And it's always been the case. And the only way you stop that is by making it impossible to cheat. And once it's impossible to cheat, then they don't cheat. Not because they wouldn't. They always want to, but because they can't get away with it. So that's really it. If you want to say if the cheating in an election just ask yourself, is it possible to cheat in the election? That's really the question that's more important than are these the good guys or bad guys? There are no good guys. Politics is hardball and there's a lot at stake. And when there's high stakes, people cheat. All right, that's going to do it. Till next time.